0: As we begin tonight, um, I I thought it would be appropriate as we started the night to firstly start by um, just letting you know as we head into tonight's message, um, I firstly like to probably repent more than anything as your pastor to to you as the, the people that come down here and are part of AMP because... Uh, What we're going to talk about tonight is something we probably should have talked about a long time ago. It's an issue which uh, absolutely affects especially our age demographic. And tonight we're going to be looking at um, what the Bible has to say about sex, lust, sexual intimacy. And so we just... I just felt in my heart like um, quite grieved that we hadn't talked about it as I know it's an issue which affects a lot of people and uh, I guess a part of not wanting to speak about it or not speaking about it is obviously, and a lot of people deal with it and being in ministry I obviously counsel a lot of people that are in this age demographic and I just want us to know tonight as we look at this, this is not trying to single out or target people, this is something which uh, a lot of people are caught up in bondage. And Lee and I don't want our people to be caught up in guilt and shame and bondage when it comes to issues regarding sex and sexual intimacy. We want people to be liberated in and through that. And, and so as we go through this tonight, I, I'll firstly start off with the purpose of what we're trying to do. Firstly, the purpose of tonight in speaking about this is not to condemn people. You know, John 3, 17 and 18, Jesus says, you know, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world. The world was condemned already. I came into this world that through me people would be saved. People would be liberated. So that's part of the purpose tonight is not to condemn people, but I can promise you tonight the enemy will come to you to try and condemn you as we go through tonight's message. And he will come to try and bring shame and guilt in your life if it's something that you're dealing with and more people than you would imagine will be dealing with what we're going to talk about tonight. And so, it's not about condemning. It's about bringing liberty to people. It's about revealing truth. John 8, 31, 32, it says, If if we abide in God's Word, we'll be disciples, and His truth will make us free. It will set us free. And tonight's purpose is very much about bringing truth to people, that we might have godly and biblical insight on what, what, what God has to say about these issues and topics. And uh, lastly... What I'm really hoping for tonight, in and through this, one of the purposes we're doing this, is that repentance would come to people. That for those of us that have been caught in this sin, sexual sin, perversion, for a while, repentance would be generated in our hearts. And we would come to God, 1 John 1, 9 says, and confess our sins and know that when we come to God, God does not cast us away or send us away. It says if we come and confess our sins, He forgives forgives us of our sins. and doesn't just forgive us, it says He cleanses us. I'm believing tonight there's going to be cleansing take place in people's hearts and lives. That God might renew us in our hearts and in our minds. And as we come and identify with our sin and come to God and confess, which will be... I'll be encouraging you to do when we finish tonight in your own time, but maybe with other people. Pray with other people that are close to you in your world. James talks about in James 5, I think it's about 18, it says, let us come and pray together, pray for each other that our our sins might be forgiven and healed. And so we're hoping that will come out of tonight as well. And so where do we begin tonight? Where do we begin with what we're going to talk about? Um, I'd love if we can open up to Genesis, Genesis chapter 2. You know, when it comes to sex and sexual intimacy and issues regarding lust... Our world is extremely perverted on these things, extremely perverted. And the problem with it is, is if we don't bring biblical light to this perversion, we actually get deceived into believing what the world says, or even sometimes what other Christians say. And, and the problem with this is, sexual immorality and lust is a sin which, if not dealt with, is damnable. Like, if these sins are not dealt with, they actually are sins that will condemn our souls to hell. And so it's not a light issue. It's not something we can afford to just skim over or not talk about. Hence why I'm repentant about not speaking about it earlier. But I figured the best place to start tonight as we went through this would be to start with God's creative order for sexual intimacy. So when, when does intimacy and sexual intimacy first come on the scene? Like when does that get created and within the parameters of what? Like what was the order that it was meant to function in? And we're going to read from Genesis 2. And we'll read from verses 20 through to 24. And God's come up and said to Adam, He, wants, he, he gives him all the animals to name. In verse 20 it says, So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept And God took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Verse 24. Therefore, man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and the wife, and were not ashamed. So in the beginning, this is where we see sexual intimacy first created. And we also see the order in which God designed it to be functioning in. And that's important for us tonight as we we go through what we're going to talk about. We have to see that when when it comes to, to, to this area of sexual intimacy with people, God designed it to be. First of all, Adam's about doing what God has asked him to do. And this is important for us to know that he's about doing what God said, naming animals. And in amongst serving God, God sees that there's nothing there that is perfect for Adam. And so he actually, out of him serving God, God God brings a wife to Adam. And some of us are in this place where we'd like to be married one day one day sooner than later, maybe some of us, and uh, we we tend to start looking for those people and get caught up in this trap of, I've got to find them, I've got to find them, we start looking around. But you know, at the beginning of the book, it says, that's not how it worked. Adam didn't go off into the garden to find his soulmate. It says he was naming things, doing what God said, and among all the animals he named, there was not one found comparable to him. And so God brought to him Eve. And I believe as we serve and seek first the kingdom, then all things... God brings unto us in perfect timing. And it says, so God creates woman, gives into man, and this is the order we're seeing it. We're seeing that sexual intimacy was created to be firstly within the covenant of marriage. Verse 24, it says that the man shall leave his father and mother, shall be joined to his wife. Covenant marriage, and the two shall become one flesh, and sexual intimacy there is instituted. So the order of it is meant to be between one man and one woman in the covenant of marriage. That is the created order of sexual intimacy. Nothing else. That's how God designed it and created it to function and work. Not outside of that, within that. And so we see that. Now, brings us to the next thing. Now, through the Bible, it talks about this issue specifically called sexual immorality or fornication. And the Bible speaks like very clearly about it, and it says that it is sinful. It's a sinful thing. And so I just want to read a few passages of Scripture which lay out what we're talking about, so sexual immorality or fornication. And uh, I'd like to read from 1 Corinthians 6, 18-20, firstly. You can write these ones down. If you have your Bible, you can turn to them. 1 Corinthians six eighteen to 20 And it reads, Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So we see flee sexual immorality. And if you're wondering what sexual immorality is, we're about to find out. I just want to read some passages before we go and delve into what it is. We see flee it, that our body was designed to glorify God. It was not designed for sexual immorality. And that God has purchased us. And in purchasing us, he has purchased us to bring about glory to his name. Next passage I want to read from is First Thessalonians four, three, and five. First Thessalonians chapter four, verses three through five. And we will be hitting a lot of scripture tonight. If you don't get it all, that's fine. This is recorded, we post it up on the AMP webpage, and the study notes will go up with it as well. So all the scriptures we look at tonight will be up there. Probably a few more. First Thessalonians 4, 3-5, it says, "...for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, and that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification." That's holiness. "...and honour, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God." So, we're meant to abstain from sexual immorality, we're meant to know how to control our bodies, and we are not meant to be like unbelievers." We're not meant to live lives especially in the area of sex like unbelievers. The next passage you want to read from is Romans 6. You'll we'll be reading from verses 12 through 14. Romans 6:12 through 14 says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. And this is important. When it talks about members, members are limbs of the body. So when it says, Present your members unto God, members is anything from hands, feet, Breasts, man's genitalia, they are limbs, they are members. It says, present these body parts as instruments towards God that glorify God and that don't shame God. Understand if you are a female that your body was made to glorify God in every single way. And God's laid down a specific order that we're to conduct ourselves in, which does glorify Him with what He has given us. And it says, when it comes to our parts of the body, no matter what part it is, it's meant to be used to glorify God. It is not meant to be used for sin. It says, present these body parts to God to be used for righteousness. Now, in, in looking at sexuality, that would be using our body parts in the covenant of marriage, the way God instituted it to be. And using our body parts within marriage glorifies God, but, but using our body parts, our limbs outside of marriage... I don't know, like examples of this, maybe wearing tight tops and flaunting your breasts. It doesn't glorify God. It leads people into temptation. It just doesn't lift up and elevate God. You know, making guys want to go somewhere with you before you're in the covenant of marriage doesn't glorify God. If you're a guy, masturbation doesn't glorify God. It's outside the created order. It is not glorifying God with our members by doing things like this. So it says, every part of our body was meant to glorify God. We had to flee sexual immorality to glorify God. And the will of God is our sanctification, that we abstain from sexual immorality. And this begs the question tonight, what is sexual immorality? When the Bible says sexual immorality, what is it talking about? The Greek word for sexual immorality or fornication, it's also... Written in the Bible, same thing, fornication, sexual immor- sexual immorality. The Greek word for it is porneia. And the meaning of porneia, so the meaning of sexual immorality, the meaning of fornication, is every kind of extramarital or unlawful, unnatural sexual intercourse. So every kind of extramarital, meaning that you, you should be one marriage, one man, one woman. Every kind of extramarital or unlawful, or unnatural, outside of the way God created every single kind of anything you can think of outside of God's created order, it says is sinful. That would be inclusive of homosexuality, masturbation, bisexuality, bestiality, sex outside of marriage, adultery, rape, polygamy, pornography, prostitution, pedophilia, incest, and friends with benefits. All of that would fall under fornication or sexual immorality. Every single kind. So if there's something I didn't mention, in case you're sitting there going, there's something else, he didn't say that. Every kind. Every single kind. That is outside of God's created order, the way God created it to be, is sinful. And the problem with this is is it actually says this sexual immorality when when people commit sexual immorality what well, like when they, they they step into sexual things beyond the covenant of marriage it says it's a sin which we commit against our own body specifically it's it's destructive towards our own soul it's destructive to our own soul In 1 Corinthians 6:10 to 12 it says that that unrighteousness will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then it goes on to list fornication, sexual immorality. Ephesians 5.5 five, 5. It talks about people, fornicators especially, will not inherit the kingdom of God. There's no inheritance there for people that are in this sin, that do not depart from this sin. Because this is what will look like for many of us tonight, maybe there's some area of that which we have delved into, and the wondrous thing about God is God is so merciful and long-suffering towards us, that when we commit sin, God is willing to forgive sin and set us free from sin, but those of us that continue to partake habitually in sin and never depart from sin, it says people people like that, there'll be no inheritance of the kingdom of God. Because this is the deal when it comes to to justifying faith. Justifying faith in a Christian's walk does not make us perfect from sin, but it absolutely makes us persevere against sin. We don't accept sin. We don't just go, oh, it just happens and whatever. No, justifying faith causes us to persevere to stand against sin. Not embrace it and just go, it happens, well, everyone does it, so hey. That's not justifying faith. And as much as we will never be perfect while we're here in this world, we absolutely should be persevering against sin. If we are justified. If we are justified by faith. Justifying faith generates desire for God. Desire for His ways and His word. And it makes us long for Him and hate sin. Next thing that leads us to is the Bible then goes on to speak of lust specifically when the Bible speaks of lust, once again it talks about it as sinful. And the, the passage I want to read from tonight is in Matthew five twenty-seven through 30. So generally lust is what leads to sexual immorality. So if we're trying to pan it down from people committing sexual acts, generally lust is the root cause of it. Well, one of. The root causes of it. And we're going to read from Matthew 27 to 30, possibly one of the most incredible and full-on teachings you'll read from Jesus in the Bible. Cuz the extreme language he chooses to use when talking about lust. And we'll read from Matthew 5:27 It says, now you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust after her, and we talk about lust, what is it? Sexually desire or long for. That's what it's talking about. Whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So Jesus says in the Old Testament, you had to commit the act. Now in the New Testament, it just has to be happening in your mind. It's the same. Then he says, if your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And this is crazy, hey? I mean, you read this and you're like, what the... Jesus' teaching on lust is so full-on. And the reason it's so full-on is because it's damnable. Lust damns people to hell when they do not fight it. And we've got to remember that the Bible says, anything that is born of God overcomes the world. 1 John 5.4. Romans 6.14. It says, you are no longer under the dominion of sin. Any longer. It doesn't have dominion and rule over you. God's spirit lives in you. And the way Jesus speaks about lust and the language that he uses is crazy. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. And I remember reading this a lot of times and thinking through it and thinking, wow, it's really extreme. Why is it so extreme? First Peter 2.11 says, We're to abstain from lust because it wars against our soul. Lust is something like sexual immorality. It's, it's a sin committed ourselves which brings destruction upon our own souls. And that's why the language is so strong. But this is what I'm sure many of you are thinking tonight. You're thinking, okay, well, what are you saying, Will? Are you saying that if I have sexual sin and that I can't overcome it, then I should pluck my eye? Are you saying I should self-mutilate? Is that what it's saying? That I should cut off my hand if I can't control myself? That I should pluck out my eyes if I can't control myself? Is that, is that what this is saying? And the truth be known, if it was your eyes and your hands which caused us to sin, if it was our eyes and our hands which caused us to sin and we could not stop, yeah, absolutely. But the deal is, it's not our eyes and our hands that cause us to sin. And when Jesus says this, it's hyperbolic, it's exaggerated. He says this saying that, you know, if it was this, then take extreme measures. But here's the deal, when it comes to lust, lust is not something which stems from our eyes and from our hands. Lust is something which stems from a person's heart. And as it is not our eyes and our hands which cause us to sin, it is man's heart. Mark 7.21, write down Mark 7.21 if you have a pen, it says that, that from within the heart of man comes evil thoughts. From within a man's heart comes evil thoughts. Not from a man's eyes, not from a man's hands, but from a man's heart comes evil thoughts. Therefore, the battleground which we're looking to, to deal with when it comes to lust is not, okay, well, man, I just try, 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 and if I can't, I better cut my hand off and pluck my eye out. No, it's my heart. If I'm constantly lusting or constantly longing and sexually desiring for, for either sexual relief or for other people, the issue is not our members. The issue is our heart. And our heart must be dealt with. Absolutely, we put extreme measures in place, but firstly, our heart is the area that we had to deal with. And I suppose that leads us to the question, well, if I have this area, if this problem's happening in my world, so say you're a guy here and you struggle with lust, maybe you're a girl and you struggle with lust. Say you struggle with pornography. Say you struggle with masturbation. Say with, you, you struggle with doing sexual things with people outside the parameters of marriage. Then how is it that we combat and fight against it? And I'd say, firstly, if you do not know Jesus Christ, if you do not know Jesus Christ, before we do anything, is we come. Romans ten nine and 10. And we call out upon Jesus to become Lord of our life from an area of belief. We pray that he comes and becomes our Lord. Ezekiel thirty six twenty six twenty seven 27 says, We cry upon him to give us a new heart. A new heart which is sensitive and desires him. And a new spirit that God might cause us to walk in righteous ways so the battle that we might be fighting may not be that we are a Christian it may be that we're not that we don't desire God that we don't long for God that we don't love God's word that we're not after Him if that's the case then I'm not going to say here let's put this solution down the issue is our heart we need Jesus to come and give us a new heart we need Jesus to come and restore our hearts to us that we might long for Him and desire after Him and if we are believers how do we fight lust if we are believers how do we fight these things We're going to open up to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Now Romans 8.13 says that by the Spirit of God we're to put to death the things of the flesh. By the Spirit of God. And Ephesians 6.17 says that take up the sword of the Spirit which is the Word of God. So when it comes to destroying sin... And we're going to be looking at, namely, lust and and sexual immorality. When it comes to destroying these things and fighting these things, this is a battle that we are to fight with the Word of God. It's by and through God's Word we put to death sinful thoughts and sinful lusts. It's not by just looking away at something else. It's not like, oh, I've got got an urge, oh, I'll go and play sport. That's not how we fight these issues. It's not by going, oh, you know, I've got a problem with porn, I'll just throw my computer away. You can take measures, but, but that's not where at first the battle starts then what will probably happen is you'll just use somebody else's. Or you'll start buying pornography. Uh, The issue is the heart, and the heart's what to be dealt with. And and the Bible says that we kill sin by and through the Word of God. And 1 Peter gives us a a beautiful glimpse in how it is this happens. 2 Peter, sorry. 2 Peter, chapter 1. And we're going to read verse 4 in particular. In verse 3 coming down though, it says, Now it's God's divine power which has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him. So through the knowledge of Him. And in verse 4 it says, By which we have been given exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these great and precious promises, we may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So, how is it we fight against lust? Peter says we fight against lust by taking the exceedingly great and precious promises and reminding ourselves of these things when we come to fighting battles against lust. It says, "How do we escape the corruption and deceitfulness of lust, what's in the world, through the promises of God?" What is that saying? It's saying that we escape lust. And we we fight against lust by reminding us that God will make us more happy than temporary moments of sexual pleasure. How would one do that? So how would we do that when we combat this? So we come into a place where there's an opportunity, and I'm in the computer room, I'm doing something, opportunity comes, there's a surge inside of me to look at pornography, think I'm going to look at pornography. I've probably got about three seconds to deal with it then and there. Like, if you are a guy or a girl and you look at that and the, the thought comes, in all honesty, you've probably got about two or three seconds to deal with it. Otherwise, it's going to take control of you. And in that moment, how do I deal with it? I remind myself of the promises of God. I remind myself of Matthew 5, 8, that bless the pure in heart, they will see God. They will see Him. I, I remind myself of the promises. I remind myself of Psalm eighty four eleven. No good thing will God withhold from those who walk uprightly. I remind myself of promises. Psalm thirty-seven, and four. Delight myself in the Lord then He will give me desires of my heart. I remind myself of promises. I remind myself that those that lust and commit lust and do not escape from lust will be damned to hell. I remind myself of Romans 6.14 that sin will not have dominion over me anymore. I remind myself of promises. 1 John 5.4 That whatever is born of God overcomes the world. I remind myself of the blood that was spilled that I might be saved. And when the urge comes and we get aroused and want to do something, we remind ourselves of Jesus Christ who's taken into the courtroom and beaten and flogged and has his beard ripped from his face. We remind ourselves of his back when he's scourged and the flesh is torn from his back. Most of the place where his bodily organs are showing, we remind ourselves of him carrying a cross and having a, a crown of thorns pushed in on his head, and nails nailed through his wrists and his shins. We remind ourselves of these things, and I can promise you, the urge for lust will disappear really quickly. Friends, we fight against lust in and through the, the promises of God. If we do not believe that God will make us happier than lust in that moment, we will choose lust every time. And this is why this whole year we've taken such a stance saying, man, read our Bibles. Read the Word of God. The Word of God was given that we might be complete. In Second Timothy 3, 16, 17 it says, the Word of God was given to the man of God that we might be complete. Lacking nothing. Able to fight against the wiles of the devil. Able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Able to, to fight against temptation. But friends, when we do not read this, We do not have promises which come to mind. And that is why we fall into lust. That is why we fall into sexual immorality. The very thing God gave us to fight against it, when we do not use the word the the way it was designed and given to us to use, then we do not experience freedom. We remain in bondage. And i propose to us tonight that as long as we don't know the promises of God, as long as we're not delighting ourselves in God's word, as long as we choose not to do that, as long as we will continue to remain in bondage to sin. By the Spirit of God, we put to death the deeds of the flesh. Through the Word of God, we kill sin. And when we fail, we get this urge inside of us that I do not want to fail again. You know, and I liken this to computer games. I remember like growing up playing computer games. Most girls won't be able to relate to this, but hear me out. Maybe you have a brother. I don't know. Maybe you played Mario growing up if you were a girl. But I remember when, when I was growing up playing computer games, if there was like a level where I used to keep dying in the level, like there was a Mario jump and I used to fall into a hole, you know what happened? I didn't just go, oh, that sucks while I'm dead. No, I'd go back and next time I want to beat it. I want to make the jump. You know, if it's like an army game of shooting people and then, you know, I get killed in a part, then I'm not like, oh, well, woe well, was me? No, you get this desire to want to beat it. And that is justifying faith. This perseverance. Perseverance to want to kill sin. That if it does take us down, next time we come, it's like, I'm not letting you get me this time. You know, and David understands this. David, you know, David commits one of these sins which, you know, people often overlook, but I mean, it's a big sin. He commits adultery with a with another woman and then he has her husband killed. And David comes to God and, and, and mourns to God and repents to God in Psalm 51, verses 10 to 12. And do you know his prayer? He understands that the battle to be fought is a battle in his heart. And the only way that battle's going to be fought is if he, he reminds himself, Of the wonder of his salvation. And he comes in verse 10. He says, Now God created me a clean heart. And renew a right spirit within me. It's an internal battle. Created me a new heart. change my heart, God. Let me desire after you. Get renewing me a, a right spirit. And then he says, now restore to me the joy of my salvation in it. Do you know where the the joy of the salvation came to those people? Through the word of God, the promises, the prophecies, Old Testament. Restore to me the joy of my salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. David understands that the battle against sin and his particular one he's looking at is lust. And it was adultery. He knew that the battle was an internal one. And he knew that God was the one that would bring victory. He knew that it was through God's word, joy would come in his salvation. And it would be God that would have to uphold him from sin. Now it's God that works in us mightily to keep us from sin. It is not our own will. It's the power of God. It's the power of God that in that moment, the spirit of God brings a scripture to mind which gets me to kill and cut down sin and say, I don't want that. It's the power of God when something happens that leads me to the Word of God or I just want to read it and meditate on it and get it in my mind. It's God that does that in us and we need to look to God to do it. David understands this. You know, just trying to be a little bit more practically helpful for us outside of that. Proverbs 4.23-25, through it says, Guard your heart with all diligence. Now remember, we're saying specifically that the battle against sexual immorality and lust is one to be fought on the inside. It's a heart battle. It's an internal battle before it becomes external. Because here's the deal. Something internal is what generates something external. I mean, why do people go and commit adultery? Because it began inside. Why do people uh, choose to, to masturbate? Because it began inside through looking at something. It's an internal thing which leads to an external sin. But Jesus says the internal is sin. The internal is sin. And so we deal with it internally. And Proverbs gives something helpful in 4.23 twenty-five, it says, Now guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. And then it says something interesting. And then it, it goes on to say, Now put away from you a deceitful mouth, and put perverse lips far from you. And then it says, And keep your eyes set straight on the path. Do not look to the left or to the right. It mentions two things specifically. When fighting against lust... When fighting against and guarding our heart, it says, if we want to guard our heart, then we have to guard our eyes and our ears. And I'm going to put that down namely to, what words do we let into our heart? I mean, what words are we allowing to pierce us? What stuff do you listen to on the radio? I mean, what conversations do you delve into with your friends? What, What movies do you choose to watch? And listen to like what's going in. Because whatever is going in is going to start to infect our heart. Next thing it says, so let your eyes be straight before you. focused on Christ, like straight on the path. Not deviating left and right. Are our, are our eyes looking at perverse things? Because we have to guard our eyes. And that where it comes to, to putting external measures in place. Where I put the word of God into my heart. I guard my heart by protecting my ears. Making sure false words and bad words don't come into my heart. I protect my eyes and what I look at by by doing what now? Taking external measures. Taking external measures. And we see, you know, there's a very good illustration of what it's like to put an external measure up revealed in Genesis 39.12. It's a story of Joseph. He's sold into slavery. comes into this guy's house, Potiphar. And then it says, Potiphar's wife is unsatisfied with her husband and she longs for Joseph she longs for sexual intimacy with Joseph and she comes to Joseph and grabs him and it says, Joseph runs away. He runs away. 2 Timothy 2.22 says the same thing. It says, now flee youthful lusts. And flee quite literally means run screaming from the building. Remember talking about this with youth years ago. When the Bible talks about flee, it's not casually like, I better get out of here. It is run. Why? Because you've got about two or three seconds before you're consumed. It's like, It's a burning house and it's coming down, and you've got a few seconds to get out of there. A few seconds, and that's why it's flee, run, run, scream from the building, get the heck out of there. External measures we put in place to guard our eyes means, you know, when it comes to looking at movies, check the ratings. I mean, honestly, you can't really watch many M-rated movies these days, because they have so much sexual stuff insinuated in them. And read what it says. Like, whenever it gives a rating, it says what's going to be in the movie. Read your ratings. And that will save you and protect your eyes from watching things that will corrupt you, things that will get into your heart and cause destruction, things that will give seeds towards lust. Protect our, our eyes when it comes to magazines, you know. I remember years ago I used to work in, in a service station at the Quicks and, and we'd get the magazine drop and they had like Cosmopolitan and they had the girls' magazines and I just couldn't believe the filth and the smut that was in them. I, I'm not trying to rag on them but like, I'm going to rag on them because they're not helpful. I mean, 51 awesome tips on how to get an orgasm, that's not helpful. It's really not helpful. Now even when you're married that can be unhelpful. Has <laughs> things about oh, what to look for, how do you know dress yourself to make yourself look amazing towards guys? that's not helpful because you're worth summed up in what guys think of you rather than being summed up in what God said about you and what God thinks about you. they're not helpful. Movies aren't helpful things. Conversations that we have. You know, we can't put ourselves out of the world. And I understand for many of us, we work in workplaces where people talk about sexual things all the time. Who did this and who did that? And oh man, I, I hooked up with this guy. Or I hooked up with that girl. It just goes on. And we can't pull ourselves out of it. But absolutely, when the day's finished, we can go and cleanse our mind. And I'm not saying to you when that happens, you go, shut the heck up. I don't want to hear any of that filth. Well, maybe you do. I don't know. I'm not going to narrow it too much. I remember being at the gym and having guys say smutty jokes to me. I just said, man, I don't want to hear them. You're married. You're married. Oh, man, you've got to be bigger than this. I love training with you, man, but I don't want to hear that smart. It doesn't make me laugh. And so maybe you want to say something to them. But if you're not in a position to, then cleanse your mind. At the end of the day, or driving through, put on worship. Go to your word. Remind yourself on promises. Promises in our mind. Cleanse ourselves. Guard our hearts. Put external measures in place. If you stumble, when it comes to internet at home, put it in a place where people can see. If you can't control yourself, maybe get rid of your computer. If that's the case. Now I think in the heart issue, generally it's not the case. I think it comes to a place where oh, i just got to get rid of this and throw this away. I think it's come something deeper than that. I think we need to go and cry out to God to change our hearts. But put things out of the way. You know, if you're courting in a relationship or dating somebody, do not put yourself in a place where you can stumble. Remember my youth pastor years ago said, the further you are back from the water, the better it's going to be for you if you slip, because you won't fall in all the way. And you know how I want to conclude tonight, is I basically want to answer a few questions which are probably running in and through people's minds. I want to answer them biblically, and then we'll conclude tonight but uh, just a few things which I know are probably running through our minds when it comes to this. First thing is, so is masturbation and pornography sinful? And the short answer to this question is yes, it is. Firstly, masturbation is outside of God's creation order for sexual intimacy. So that's firstly why masturbation is wrong. It's outside the created order. I mean, we could just stop there and say that's where it was meant to be, so it's outside of that. There we go, that's enough. But we won't, we'll continue on. Secondly, it's typically lustful, whether it be avert lust for another person, or whether it be lustful desire for sexual relief. Some people might go, oh, you know, but I, I don't look at pornography. But there's still a sexual desire for relief. It's lustful. So whether it's avert lust towards a person, or whether it's lust towards sexual relief, it's still, it's sinful. Thirdly, masturbation reveals a lack of self-control. Do you understand the fruit of the Spirit? Galatians 5. Here it is, 5 maybe 13. Talks about the fruit of the Spirit, and one of those fruits of the Spirit is self control. Self control. Do we have any self control when it comes to the computer screen? Do we have self control when it comes to our own members and what we do with the members of our body? Because self control is a fruit of the Spirit, and if we're saved, it's alive. There's self control. Fourthly, pornography and masturbation do not quench sexual desire. Rather, they intensify it. In Proverbs twenty-seven twenty, it says, "Hell and destruction are never full, and neither is a man's eye, is it ever satisfied?" You know. Whenever we like try and think, like especially in pornography or in masturbation or in doing sexual things with people, we think that sometimes it you know it quenches the desire, but it actually doesn't. You know, even like scientifically proven, the more that we are sexually active, the more it increases it and the desire for it. The Bible says, you know, hell and destruction are never full, and if you if you want to go down that path of looking at pornography, you'll never be satisfied. Hell and destruction are never full, and so a man's eyes are never satisfied either. But Job 31.1, Job says, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look upon a woman lustfully. Pornography and masturbation make sexual desire more intense. Fifthly, Proverbs 15.18.19 says, We're to rejoice in our wife's body. And if we constantly look at pornography or even soft porn or down at the beach we're constantly perving on people's bodies, we will never be satisfied with our wife when we get married. When we're constantly looking at other people's bodies, you will not be rejoicing in your wife's body. Why? Because you're used to looking at other people's bodies. And if my wife had this feature or that feature, or maybe if they were a bit bigger, and if you're a girl thinking, well, if only my, my husband had you know a physic like this and was chiseled, it doesn't help us. It doesn't make us rejoice in our spouse. It does the opposite. Now, another question I know that comes to people's mind is people think, you know, well, it doesn't matter. I have this problem, but when I get married, it will go away, Right? When we want to get married, I'll be able to do it and it'll be okay. No. You know, the devil doesn't even pervert sex until marriage is first instituted. Do you know it's not like he sexually perverts Adam before Eve comes and they're married and, and they have sexual intimacy. It's after that. You no, know, perversion doesn't come... Generally, like when perversion comes, it gets worse in marriage. Not only that, but the Bible says that, that when you get married, it talks about in 1 Corinthians 7 three and four, it says that that what happens is is when you get married, your wife's body is considered yours and your body is considered your wife's. Therefore, we do things to satisfy our spouse. But masturbation is not focused on satisfying our spouse. It's focused on self-gratification. It's focused on me. And so when we get married, we're so used to satisfying me that we actually don't think about, I more want to satisfy my wife. We're inward-driven. And marriage is about, when it comes to our sex life, about us getting our satisfaction that we want. But the Bible says it's not meant to be like that. First Corinthians 7, 3 and 4, it says, no, 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 I'm meant to think of it for my wife and what is going to be most beneficial for her. And she's meant to do the same for me. And that will not happen if we've been in this mode of always looking after self and just looking after self and focusing on self and self-gratification. It doesn't work like that. Another question I know that comes up is, can dating couples sexually touch each other before marriage? Obviously, we looked at one. It's outside of the created order for sexual intimacy, so that's one. But secondly, 1 Corinthians 7, 1 and 2 says, Now in regards to you writing to me, I tell you, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. It is good for a man not to sexually touch a woman. And then he says, if you cannot control yourself because of sexual immorality, get married. But here's the deal. When you get married, it's life. Till death do us part. What God has brought together, let no man separate. So I don't know if you're just like, we can't control stuff, let's just get married. You might want to think about it, pray about it, before you just go on a lope. But when it comes to... dating no the Bible says that it is sin to be sexually touching each other it's not good it's sexual immorality it's a sin against our own soul it's destructive to ourselves it's not something which is helpful for our walk with God it's something which leads us to guilt and shame and it separates us from God and we feel condemned and we don't want to be in his presence and we don't want to be near him because God has no sin And so, when we come into a room with a God that has no sin, or we become aware of our God who has no sin, we better believe that in that moment we will become aware of our sin. And it's not because God's going, look at your sin. He has none. He has no sin. It would be like a black kid going to a white kid's school. You'd really notice you were black if everyone else was white. It's the same. When we go towards God, and God has no sin, Jesus has no sin, and we see Him, we notice our sin. And it's not because he's going, look at your sin. He's actually calling us to him to cleanse us of our sin. But the devil comes and says, look look at your sin, look at him. You should leave. You do not belong. And that's the voice of the devil. It's not the voice of God. He didn't send his son to condemn the world. Friends, we are condemned without Jesus. The point of Jesus is that we might be set free. Set free. So no, dating couples should not be sexually touching each other. Another question I might be thinking: Well, can I stop being tempted? And that's a big one that comes up. So, can I just stop temptation altogether? And the answer I have to give tonight may not be the one you want to hear. But no, when it comes to temptation, you can't stop temptation altogether. Now, Hebrews four fifteen it says Jesus was not without temptation; he was tempted, massively so, but without sin. Friends, Jesus couldn't even escape temptation. But this is the thing we need to realise. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says there is no temptation that has come before us that we cannot flee from. That there is not a way of escape. So with temptation comes a way of escape. Whatever temptation befalls us, God would not let it befall us if there was not a way of escape. There is always a way of escape. And that's what we need to think about Joseph. Flee from sin. Flee from sin. Run from sin. Yeah, absolutely, we can make it easier as in like we cannot go to places where we know it's just going to be rife temptation. Yeah, but we can't escape it altogether. We can't escape temptation altogether. It's always in some degree going to arise. But I would highly encourage us to guard our hearts. Yeah, think about where we go. Think about what we're about to do. And is there going to be a lot of temptation there? Because if there is, no. Make a wise decision and a smart decision and go, That's, I don't want to be there. It's not going to help my walk with Jesus. If every person I see I'm going to have to run screaming from, walk into the club, ah, 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 because everyone's wearing miniskirts, got their boobs hanging out. It's not helpful. No, it's just not helpful. We have to be wise. We have to think clearly and carefully about things. And so temptation is something which will always be, but, but be encouraged. Temptation is something which can be fleed from. And not only that, but if there is temptation, God has provided the way for escape. How, how clearly are we looking for it? We just need to look for that way of escape. You're in the car, it's your boyfriend or your girlfriend, you finished up with people, oh, maybe we'll just go sit on the hill and drive to a hill. No, there's a way of escape right there. No, maybe let's go home. You get up there, you make the bad decision of going up there, things start to get a bit hot and heavy, get out of the car, go away. I'm going to take a walk. I'm going to call a cab. I'm going to get out of here. There is always a way of escape. If it's happening, there's a way out, and we have to look for the way out. And in concluding tonight, we'll pray. I don't know if we can bow our heads, close our eyes. Father, I know that this topic is a topic that most people will choose to shy away from. And because of that, they will become deceived and perverted. But Father, we do not long for that, for this ministry. We do not long for that with our own lives or for the people of this ministry. We long to look to the Bible for biblical truth on how it is we overcome the issues of lust and sexual immorality. Father, I know tonight in talking about this, it makes people awkward and uneasy. I know in talking about this tonight, the devil will come and try and condemn people and tell them that there's no way out. But Father, I thank you tonight. We see light and hope we see Jesus Christ we realize the promises of God the promises of God realizing we are happier in God than we will be away from God leads us towards God we realize that this battle to be fought is one that you have promised to fight by giving us a new heart and placing your spirit within us to remind us of truth to guide us into all truth and Father I pray for people that are here tonight that feel guilty and shameful Father I thank you that you cleanse them as they come to you that Lord, you are not condemning them, and you did not come to condemn them. You came to save them and to liberate them and to set them free from guilt and shame. To stir in them a perseverance, to want to fight against their sins. And Father, I thank you in amongst this, you help to bring people into our world, that you help us to choose people that we, we want to be accountable with to help us in and through this journey, and that we realize that we're not the only ones that face these battles, that more than likely most people that are here tonight with us face this battle. And that, Father, we we get accountability with friends and we pray for one another and we communicate about our faults and our shortcomings and we seek wisdom. That, Father, we go to the Bible and we, we, we find promises and we delve into grabbing precious promises which help us in the battle. We text message each other these promises through the week. We pray for each other in the morning that, God, you might keep us from temptation and keep us from evil. And that our whole lives, our whole beings, every part of our body would be used for the glory of God. Every part of our body would shout out praise and honor to you. Father, I thank you. Truth liberates people in this place tonight. It sets people free. People hunger for your word. And that tonight there is a cleansing which takes place where you cleanse people of all unrighteousness. You know, for some of us that are here tonight, I just feel pressed on my spirit. Those of us that have maybe looked at a lot of images or have done things, and, and when it comes to coming to God, we just want God to strip away all those thoughts. God cannot strip away all those thoughts. Well, not God cannot, God will not. But God will give us precious promises to fight against them. You cannot pull out of your mind images that you have seen. But God can give you the power not to dwell on them and think on them and when they try to surface to to find something else and to bring up something else which is more powerful. And mark my words, every single step we take to try and get away from these sins, the devil will be using everything in his power to try and lead us back to them. And we have to look to the promises of God and we have to ask God to take control of our minds and bring every thought into, into subjection to Him and to help us and pray every single morning that God would keep us from temptation and evil and flee temptation when it comes and constantly be about washing our hearts, washing and renewing our minds by the Word of God. And Lord, I just pray for each and every person here and thank you for strength. Thank you for strength and power of you that gives them the ability to overcome this. For those that are born of God, will overcome the world. They will not stay in a place where they are ruled by sin. Sin will not have dominion over them. And I just bless you and thank you for this night. Father, be at work. And Father, generate friendships and conversations where we can assist and help each other on this short and narrow path out of lust and out of sexual immorality and wash us clean and let us not feel condemned and shamed but let us feel forgiven. In Jesus' name. And just with every head bowed, every eye closed.